This is Pick, Pack, and Wash. We're here to talk about what actually is uh, a huge part of market farming. Um, If you haven't been there yet, what you'll find between Pick, Pack, and Wash and marketing, once you get into the season, that consumes the vast majority of your time. In fact, so much of your time that you have a very hard time doing the other stuff, like planting and cultivating. Right? Are we in agreement here? (laughs) It's easy to create a lot of work on the farm. When you plant seeds, they make a lot of work. So... This is an extremely important stage to try to to increase efficiency. Is if the the more you can cre- increase efficiency and pick, pack, and wash, then the more time you have for all those very important things like planting, and cultivating, planning, and so on. So, obviously, there's three main sections: pick. And as I said earlier, it it would be better to say pick, wash, and pack. That's usually the way you do it. So we thought we could just kind of go through each of those and um, see what questions you have. And then we can share our experiences in those three areas. So I think there might have been some confusion when I first walked in. People, I think, were thinking this was going to be like a lecture. This is actually a roundtable discussion. So just so everyone in here is aware of the format that we're going to be doing, it's a, it's a, we're here, we've all had wash stations for, well, quite a while at least, and so the purpose of this is for us to just kind of share. You guys, you guys have questions, we can share our expertise, why we do what we do, experiences that we've had to kind of help, you know, encourage you or facilitate you getting down that road a little better. Okay, we've got a question in the back. When to pick? When to pick? Morning. In the morning. <laughs> okay, that's boy, that's a big question. Um, yeah, we have to know what crop you're talking about in order to know when to pick it. Uh, so, you know, a lot of things people don't realize can be can be picked at most any stage. Like a cucumber, um, you know, a ripe cucumber, according to, you know, a, a ripe cucumber, we would say is overripe, right? That's when it's ready to for seed. So basically, you can pick a cucumber this small, and it's going to taste wonderful. Um, eggplant are the same way. So in large part... You know, a beet can be picked. Like, most people wouldn't buy a beet if it were this big. They're usually delicious. My experience is when I have oversized beets, we eat them at home and they're, they're perfectly fine. But most people, if you're thinking about when should you pick something, like a beet, for instance, most people want their beets about this big. And they want them uniform in size. So a beet is ready to pick in a whole gamut of stage of, of you know, like a whole time, a large time frame. But you want it when it's best for you to sell it, you know. And so if you're wanting to have beets, let's say, for without tops, non-bunched, and you just want to put them on the table as loose beets, typically I would say those are bigger beets. But if you're doing bunched beets, typically that's going to be a smaller beet. Okay, so the question was, is the fragrant, fragrant, fragrance of the... Um, of the fruit, I'm guessing, like in, in melons, I'm guessing would possibly be one of those. That fragrance would be a factor. And as far as the ease of which it comes off the plant, is that also a factor? The que- that's the question. Um, I'm trying to, I'm racking my brain here. Ease of come off. Okay. I haven't grown a lot of melon. Uncle John? <laughs> yeah, there are certain melons... Um, they call it full slip. If you know, if you'd give it a little tug, and it comes off easily, then it's ripe. But I'll tell you, melons are are rough. At least f- on the scale we grow them, um, 
I, I always, when we take melons to market, it's always with a prayer. Lord, please just make them good for these people because this is your, your um, reputation at stake here. <laughs> and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, on our farm, we, we grow a fair amount of melons. We don't grow a ton of melons, but we put them in our CSA, so we grow enough to have them several times throughout the year. We do a musk melon. We do a honeydew melon. We do watermelon. Um, we do a large watermelon and a small watermelon. We have a guarantee because melons, you, you can't look inside of a melon. And typically our melons are decent at the worst. But if someone's unhappy, my guarantee is bring it back and we will make it right. That's right. If you get this home and it's not what you expected it to be, it doesn't matter if you're expecting it to be the sweetest thing on the planet and it was only moderately sweet. We want to meet your expectation. If it doesn't come back, we'll make it right. And so... Things like that, we just kind of put that out there for people and we make it clear to them when they buy it. You know, this is our guarantee. Um, you know, and I think you were talking about vines, so maybe something like peas. Is that what you were? Uh, well, I think melon. Melons you were, or you were taking about a vine. Well, the way he, you described it at first, I almost thought you were talking about picking peas or something. And for picking peas, something like that, this is how I know when they're ready. I go pick one and I taste it. We're not supposed to eat between meals, but... <laughs> I don't know how else to do it. You know, you can say like a, 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 a snap pea, you know, it should be plump and full. A snow pea should be flat. You know, if a snow pea gets fatter and you start getting seeds in there, they're probably going to be kind of starchy. They're not very good. They get real stringy, you know. And so, you know, each thing is going to have its own nuance as you're determining when is this product ready. You know, and a lot of times for me, if I'm selling to like a higher end restaurant, they actually want things immature. And if I'm picking them when I would take them to market, they're totally not interested. Like to them, that's garbage, really. And so they want, you know, so you got to know what you're picking for and definitely, you know, taste stuff because if you like it, most likely your customers are going to like it. In my experience, most chefs want, like, for instance, zucchini. They're going to want that, you know, eight to, well, maybe not even that much. Yeah, they're wanting it small, and they're wanting it uniform. And so, you know, that's a big thing because they're chopping a lot of stuff up, and the more uniform it is, the easier it is to process that product. One, one key word is baby. If you call it baby, you can charge a lot more for it. <laughs> so, you know, we used, to, we used to have beets that, you know, in our mind were kind of cast-offs because they never sized up. <laughs> but you just, you just harvest them and bunch them and call them baby beets, and you can sell them for the price of big beets. <clears throat> okay, well, we... Yes. No, I think we, we are. We need to move on. Yeah, um, in terms of like, you can go ahead. Here. I think if you come tomorrow to the salad mix class, you'll get your answer. But for the short answer is, is yes, you do need to know um, there are state regulations on what's called field cut greens. And so if you aren't a processing facility, you cannot process greens legally. And when you come from somewhere that doesn't have a processing license, you cannot call that ready to eat. If you call that ready to eat, you're breaking the law. And so you can, and what you should do, and we'll get to that in, in this, pro, well, right here, you'll see the bubbler on the screen, but we'll get to the process of what that looks like. But to answer your question directly is something like, say you're going to do radicchio. Does everybody here know what radicchio is? The red stuff you find in your mixed baby greens, the little kind of almost looks, it's real crunchy, white. It's been in the, the salad. It's beautiful, yeah. vibrant purple. It's wonderful Bitter. stuff. It's absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> Usually when we would process, process that, we would harvest it like a, it looks like a cabbage almost. And we cut the bottom off and we cut it in fours. That's totally against the law. Right. So in the field, it's a one cut. You can make one cut. That's a field cut. And that's legal. You can check by state by state if, you, if they have different regulations on that. But generally, that's, that's what it means by field cut. I just took some uh, training a few weeks ago that's done, um, basically the USDA has worked with local, uh, the local state university, 
And there, I mean, the Food Modernization Act that's coming through, well, it's gone through revisions and it's changed a lot and it continues to change. Some of these laws are a constant thing, but Larry's right. The, the, the difference is, is that are you cutting the epidermis or are you cutting the skin of the product? If you're taking one cut, like, you know, whether the lettuce is this big and you're cutting the bottom off or it's this big and you're cutting the same spot, that's considered, even though the, the overall size of the plant is smaller, it's still considered like you're harvesting an entire head, even though it's just miniature. The problem is, is that if I take that lettuce, make that one cut, turn it over, and then slice it in two, that's when it becomes a problem. And, of course, some of these lines are really fine, but, you know, ultimately speaking, you know, you got to draw the line somewhere because they don't want people processing things in facilities that aren't up to code for it. So that's really what it comes down to. And it's getting more strict. So as small farmers are concerned, we need to be more careful because, you know, one or two of us slip up and then the regulations are going to be stronger because as it stands, now, as far as processing stuff, that's already in place. Now, as far as field processing, like that one cut, um, there is regulation for that as well for bigger farmers, but you are not required to comply with that regulation, I believe, if you're selling within a 250-mile radius and you're selling under, I believe it's half a million dollars a year. So that's most, federal? that's federal. Yeah. So um, right now, most of you probably will not be under regulation. You might never be under regulation, but the, the thing is, is that it doesn't matter if you do something and someone gets sick and they can trace it back to you, then everyone else is in a bunch of trouble as well. So it's, it's good to try to protect everyone by doing what's right. So I think the keys here are, number one, um, small farms don't have to comply at this point with the Food Safety Modernization Act. But you need to be aware that it may be coming down the pipeline. And secondly, don't ever sell thing, anything like salad mix. Don't ever say it's ready to eat. You know, you tell them, take it home and wash it. That way you're not telling them it's been processed, even though you have washed it. You know, if they eat it, uh, you know, without washing it, you know, you can't say you didn't tell them. It's so. Okay. Other questions. We're, we're, we're talking about harvesting here. <laughs> harvesting. So I'm looking at growing tomatoes this year in my high tunnel. And I wanted to create a system that was efficient in the high tunnel because that is, for me, the best place I have that's undercover to do this. So I was thinking about. As I'm picking the tomatoes, wiping them down with a rag, uh, you know, and packaging them as I'm picking them. So when, you know, I'll have a cart, there'll be a, a, like a one gallon tin can of water, and maybe hydrogen peroxide, I don't know what would be the best, but just wiping each tomato down as I go and packing them. Is there anything wrong with doing that? Make sure it's clean water. Yeah, it, it, that's actually, I, I wasn't able to sit in on the leaning one this morning, but did he talk about single piece flow? I think that's the right term. I don't think he did on that. Okay, so that actually, Ben Hartman in his book, The Lean Farm, will tell you that it's more efficient to to take your product from the vine to ready to go to market all at one time. It goes against kind of what we've thought for so many years. You know, let's pick them all and then we wipe them all down and then we pack them all. But it's much more efficient to do it all right there. In fact, he, like with beets, he, he bunches them and has a bucket, dips them, washes them off, packs them in the box, all in the field. Goes straight in the cooler and off to market. So, yeah, I mean, that's a great, that, that's the most efficient way to do it. You know, um, our son, with, with his, his uh, manufacturing of the greens harvester, which is, a, you know, that's not farming, but it is amazing. He used to do batches you know, like assemble 15 at a time. And now he's doing them one at a time. 
and the the increase in efficiency and speed is tremendous taking it from you know taking one harvester from beginning to end and then starting on the next one so it is much more efficient uh, other questions okay uh, hydrogen peroxide as a cleaner as far as my experience with tomatoes, I don't. I wouldn't use water or hydrogen. I would just use a towel, just a dry towel. And if you need water or something, you could just have a little on hand. But I, I find they just wipe off, if, especially in a greenhouse. Yeah, I don't think you're going to have much cleaning to do, really. As far as my experience is concerned, not with hydrogen peroxide, but whatever you can do to kind of limit what you put on, like a chemical or anything other than water, because it can sometimes alter the taste of a product. It will be absorbed. I mean, you know, skin, our skin, any skin, it has a high absorption ratio to it usually it's it, because there's air passing through there. So I wouldn't want to put something on that. I mean, it might alter the taste. Like I said, I don't know about hydrogen peroxide, but I like the idea of a rag better than, than putting something in that might alter taste, I'd have to say. How much are you wanting to cool them? Oh, sorry. Uh, repeat the question so I can repeat it. <laughs> what, about what about cooling tomatoes? And my response to that was, how much do you want to cool them? I would say not under 55. 55. I wouldn't want to cool them much under 55. Because if you cool them too much, it changes the texture to milly almost, and that's really nasty. And they lose flavor. <laughs> and they lose flavor, Larry said. Okay, I'm I'm trying to be sensitive to time here. We're almost halfway through and so I think we will we can just share a few tips on harvesting and then we need to go to washing. Um so this board right here has been a huge thing for us and unfortunately it's not really set up because this I just took this picture the other day and in the winter you know we're not going full bore but this is a, a dry erase board we put these you can buy this tape to put on here and this is straight out of Ben Hartman's The Lean Farm if you haven't gotten that book I highly recommend it as far as increasing efficiency on the farm it's tremendous um, it's magnetic, so you can see though this is up here. But so you know, we can use these columns for like assigning people, you know, put their initials, what they're picking. You know, we actually made um, magnetic labels, so we don't have to keep writing all the different things. So we just write the list of what's being harvested. You can also hear, you know. Um, when if you don't assign a particular person to it, whoever is doing it checks that they're out doing it. So you're not going to go do it, you know, double up. Um, when it's done, you can put a check in the next column. So you just look at the board and you say, okay, these things are done. This still needs to be done. You know, here you've got this is CSA and this may be farmers market and this is. Uh, uh, our, our co-op that we sell to and so you're writing quantities there um, so anyway you know you can you can adjust it to your specific situation but having it all there so you're not out there trying to say okay now have you done this and, and you've done that all you have to do is look at this and you know exactly where you are in the harvesting process so very very helpful um. That is brilliant, so take note of that. Um, we've always done it on paper, but I think a whiteboard is probably much more efficient than paper, especially in a wash station. Uh, um, I don't know, I think as advice on picking. You know, I've watched people out, do it fast. When I first started, the, the farmer that I interned with, he told me this. We were picking kale. And he said, when you pick kale, do not pick a piece of kale and put it in the other hand and pick a piece of kale and put it in the other hand. He said, you pick three, four, then you 
You see what, I'm, what I did? One, two, three, four, hands full, put it in the hand. One, two. So that's a good thing to know, speed. You don't want to, this motion takes time. This motion takes less time, right? So that's a good thing to know. Um, this might sound counterintuitive, and a lot of people may disagree with me, but I've cut my hands a whole lot. I harvest salad mix a lot by hand. And when you cut, you just it happens. So for me, my knife is extremely dull. <laughs> and when I get a new knife, I always cut myself bad. And so um, I tend to use a dull knife for certain things. Other things, a dull knife can be real dangerous. And so know the tool you want to use and why you want to use it. Um, there are better tools for head lettuce than a serrated knife. They make special knives where it's kind of angled at the tip and you can just push it underneath and it slices. Do you know what they're called? I don't even know what they're called. Harvest knife. Uh, lettuce. I think it's lettuce. Is it a lettuce-filled lettuce filled knife? Johnny's carries them, yellow-handled. Um, those are tips that I would give about harvesting. And try to keep the stuff you're harvesting out of the sun. So if you have a tote and you're harvesting chard or something, instead of packing it straight down into it, a lot of times we turn the totes sideways. So, and if the sun's over there, then the back is towards the sun so it can see in the shade. If you do this and you make bunches and you stick them underneath the chard, you better know how many bunches you harvest it. And when you get to the wash station or before you get to the wash station or when you're picking them up, make sure you count them because I, invariably you will find chard bunches in the field the next day that didn't do well. Okay, so I have two things. One thing that we're going to be implementing here in the future and another thing that I see a lot of farmers make a mistake on and it's, it, it takes them, it, they lose a lot of production, a lot of time, and it's, it's d difficult to do, but it, it needs to be done. Number one is having walkie-talkies with you because inevitably there's going to be an extra order that comes in. Someone's in the wash house processing stuff, and let's say Larry left a, you know, Larry left some chard out in the field. I get that in the wash house, and he's out picking something else, but it might be near. If you have a walkie-talkie, everyone's on the same frequency. You say, hey, I need three more chard here. We didn't get the chard here. Instead of someone running way out to the field and saying, hey, you forgot the chard, right? So the idea is that having that available there on everyone so that you're constantly hearing how the harvest is progressing and that if, you, if you're close to a place you can chip in or someone got out there and they forgot their knife and you're heading out, it's like, hey, so-and-so just said they needed a knife. Take this to them, you know, type of thing. So that can really increase the communication when on harvesting days. Uh, second thing is knowing when it's not worth to harvest a crop. And this is sometimes very hard to do, but I've seen this on a lot of farms. Is they let their squash crop get to a certain size where it's very big, and now you're going through trying to, you know, get this little squash, but the reality of the matter is, is that the time it's taking you to harvest that crop is not what the crop is worth. And so... I try to set a limit on how long I think that crop will actually be easily, uh, cherry tomatoes is another good example of this. The plants, you're like, you know, they're, they're all over like this. Let's say that you didn't string them up and took care of them. They're all over like this, and you're like trying to lift them up to get a few cherry tomatoes. At that point, it takes too much labor to get that crop than it's worth. It's better to cut it out and have an additional succession come in than to try to take care of that crop and harvest off of it. So those would be the two things that I would say. Now, as far as what that line is, um, that gets a little tricky, but there is a point where it's saying, okay, this crop has done well enough. We need to kind of cut loose and, and, and make sure we have another one coming in. Okay, one, one last little tip. Um, you know, a lot of things you're bunching with rubber bands. So we always just, if we know, you know, we look at the harvest board, okay, we need 25 bunches of kale count the rubber bands out and then you put them on your three fingers here you know i used to put them around my wrist but you know you feel like you're gonna cut off your circulation so you just put them on the three fingers then when you have your bunch ready your rubber bands are right there you just do it put it down and go on to the next one and then you're not having to to recount okay well how many bunches did i have you know you think you can do it in your head but then somebody will distract you and it's so you're starting from scratch again so just a, a little tip but it can really speed things up and john has another one here i think who 
That's a good, okay, the question is where do we get our rubber bands and what size do we use? Um, I saw my wife here earlier. Okay, you get twist ties. Eight inch and 10 inch. Why twist ties instead of rubber bands? I, I find them to be faster for me. Okay. Like a twist tie, I have it, wrap it around, is it done. But eight inch and 10 inch because not all crops are the same size. Yeah, rubber bands we just get uh, off of Amazon, I think, and I think they're maybe size 30, but I don't remember exactly. Okay, how do you measure a bunch of kale or collards? We just go by finger size, you know. Um, so you have your kids do it? <laughs> you, you just, the, whoever's in charge sets the standard and says this is how big we want it you know because again if you start counting individual leaves that that's not efficient so you just say you want a bunch you know and it varies somewhat but um bunch this size and and just check if you've got people working for you you know are they doing it about right or do they need to add a little more i would definitely check and a rule of thumb for me has always been what do you buy at the grocery store? What do you expect to get at the grocery store? And I'll tell people, they go, well, this has a few holes in it here or there. I say, we're organic. I said, but here's the question. If that was sitting on the table, would you buy it? And would you buy it happily? Would you feel good about buying it? Because if you wouldn't feel good about buying it, I don't want to sell it. And so, and we have a rule. We usually, depending on the size of the kale or the collards or whatever, I try to pick them when they're sized up where I could do eight in a bunch. And if they're smaller, I'll do 10 in a bunch. Or if it's lost and auto, you may do 15 in a bunch. But that's just how we do it. Yeah. Do you want me to hit that one real quick for us or no? Um, if you have something revolutionary. Okay, so for us, since we do web marketing, we actually weigh all our bunches because you're online, you want it to be consistent. But I have a lot of complaints from my family because it's time consuming to weigh each thing out. So one of the things that I'm considering doing is like getting a PVC pipe that you can like clip onto your belt or something. That's your standard diameter, so it's all the same. And then if it fits in there, then that's your metric. That way you can keep it consistent. But you have to decide on what diameter. But you know, you have everything from inch to inch and a half. You can get a lot of different things, and that what might be a way to say, hey, look, you want it to fit like this in the PVC pipe, now go at it. And that way you have a metric that everyone has the same instead of people's hand sizes and, you know, someone wasn't paying attention or whatnot. So there's a possible solution to that. But why, why do you... In, instead of weighing, that might be a thing. But the thing is, is that I see fluctuation on a lot of farms on what they consider a bunch. And I just don't like that because on a web market, you can't tell what the volume is. When you go to a mar farmer's market stand, you can see it, you can kind of pick it up, but you can't do that online. And so we need to have good consistency. So weighing is how we used to achieve that, but it's time consuming. The bunching is much faster. But then, like you said, everyone has a different, you know, metric. So how do we make it consistent? And I think a good rule of thumb is press down and overflowing. Press down and overflowing. If you think it's small, just make it bigger. It's, it's much cheaper to, like with weighing, um, this is something Curtis Stone really emphasizes, don't, don't be there, you know, pulling out a leaf of, okay, it's, it's 0.5 grams over, you know, what it's supposed to be. You just make sure you're not under, but if it's a little over, fine, it's good enough. You know, you can't be there just getting it exact. Yeah, you're wasting time. John. Okay, so he's he's saying with bunches, if you're doing it online, you can just um, give approximate size, approximately how many leaves or whatever. Obviously, we don't have enough time in an hour to cover this very well, but let's move on to washing. So I'll just show you these pictures of the bubbler. This is kind of... Well, I hate to use the term cutting edge, but um, uh, this is kind of where small farms are with washing greens. Um, you just get, you know, I've seen a lot of different things. If you're really fancy and you, if you live in a dairy area and you can find a used 
stainless steel bulk milk tank. Those are awesome. Um, but this is just uh, a Rubbermaid water trough that you, you put a drain in the bottom. You buy a jacuzzi pump, hook it up with some PVC pipe. And I think this next picture you can see, drill a bunch of holes in it, plug it in, and it's, it's a jacuzzi. So this is a great way after a long day of work, you put hot water in there. <laughs> wonderful now actually we've never done that but um, what it does is it it um, agitates very gently and and it knocks all the dirt off I mean it really does an amazing job of cleaning the greens up and I know the first question is well doesn't the water get dirty and yeah, I mean, hopefully, if, if you're harvesting out of a greenhouse or something, it shouldn't be too dirty. But um, whatever, however it works, you know, you can scoop them out of there, even if the water looks kind of dirty and they look wonderful. Yeah, they're not dirty. So I don't know exactly how it works. If the aeration, do you know how it works? Well, how does it work? <laughs> bubbles, <laughs> lots and lots of bubbles. Now, what I was going to say, though, is, is, again, you know, you're not giving somebody ready-to-eat salad mix. I mean, I'll tell you, I eat it, but if someone asks me, I say, legally, I cannot tell you this is, is ready to eat. I can tell you what I did. I hydro-cooled it, I packed it, and it went in the refrigerator. I'm selling it to you. You should take it home and process it yourself, but it's up to you what you do. How do you dry it after Okay, how do you dry it? Well, that's the next step. But um, Lucia has, oh, you've been so patient waiting to have your. Is that the only stuff you take in washing? Well, it depends. This is for greens specifically, um, mainly for baby greens. But you can do head lettuce and stuff in there too. Um, but, you know, obviously root crops and stuff, this is not usually the the solution of choice no you dump them in there and the, the other the nice thing about this also is that if you've got different varieties it kind of mixes them up so you know if you're making a mescaline mix with arugula and lettuce and so well yeah you put them in for a few minutes you know I mean yeah well, okay, so the washing machine, so here's, here's the washing machine. So you, you look on Craigslist, buy a, a used washing machine, cut that center thing out, and then you wire it, you hardwire it, so you bypass all the electronic stuff. It's just a simple on-off switch wired to the spin cycle. And then ideally you get some kind of basket that fits nicely in there. And this is actually a basket from a hand spinner. This, this is a small washing machine. This is like an apartment size, which, you know, if we were doing it again, we probably would just get a big one. But um, I think the, the baskets that you can get, you know, they make the, what are they called? The, the gray garbage cans? Um, brute. Brute, yeah, thank you. The brute garbage cans are food grade. <laughs> well, and that sounds crazy, but in, in restaurants, they use them to store chips or they store them to sauces. They use them for all kinds of, you can get them down to five gallon, 10 gallon, 20 gallon. And so they're really practical in that. And usually what they do is they drill holes in it. And that's how you get the slits in it, as they drill holes in it. And it's a, it's a, you can clean them with bleach, you know, or however you're gonna clean your, you know, because you want to clean up afterwards. You just drop them down in there. Yeah, and they'll, and well, a lot of times you have to cut the the uh, handles off, but they'll slide down in, and they just squeeze in that, and it just spins it dry, just like a salad spinner you'd have at home, your little one with the string or with the pump handle or whatever. It's the same concept. There's nothing different, and it works brilliantly. So if you want to do this and you're not super handy, there's a, a guy, Michael Kilpatrick is his name. 
he has plans for both the bubbler and the dryer. You go online. I don't know exactly what his site is, but you can find it. Michael Kilpatrick. He's a farm consultant. Okay. We actually didn't convert ours. We we use it we use it and we just simply use the spin cycle. And that's we don't we didn't even convert ours. I'm going to, but we haven't yet. But it, you don't have to do that right off the bat. We just do it in bags. We fill bags up, and for this, I let me clean them. We spin it. Yeah, yeah, that that works to to just use laundry bags, mesh bags. But one thing, it's an extra step because see, with this, we can scoop them right out of the the bubbler, put them straight in there, take them out, put them on the table, you know, bag them straight from there. So it's it's more efficient than using the the laundry bags and, and you might mention so if you've ever well i'll just say you can you can create systems if you don't think that's dry enough some people would want their salad mix to be drier than that before they packaged it you can build like a three fans like you would get like a, a little square window fans for like 20 bucks box fans and you just mount them in the ceiling and get a drying table a screen table and just blow it down on the salad mix. You can do it that way too if you if you feel like it needs to be drier than you're getting. I find it to be completely fine without doing that, but a lot of people do that too. Do you guys do that? No. So what he's talking about, you do after spinning. Yes, after spinning. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, any other tips on washing? Okay, we we had a question back here, and then if if the things are bunched up, well, we don't do right. Well, with salad mix, you know, we didn't talk about harvesting salad mix, but I'll put in a little plug for the greens harvester, the quick cut greens harvester. If you're doing any kind of baby mix. Um, in my opinion, that's the only way to do it efficiently is with that. It, it's on display out here. Um, it really is fast. So you take it straight from there. Yeah, yeah, I know. He. Oh, oh, in your, okay. Yeah, so, yeah, there's a whole class on salad production, so we probably shouldn't spend too much time on it. Anyway, you go straight from there into a bin some kind of harvest bin and dump it straight in the bubbler. So yeah, there's no, the bunching was for like beets or carrots or so. Okay, sanitizing the equipment, soap, Clorox, bleach water. There's, there's some, there's something called Sanidate, which is a, a kind of a hydrogen peroxide kind of thing. So there's a number of choices for sanitizing okay okay how do you clean the washing machine well notice notice you're not you're not uh, the lettuce should not really be touching the washing machine now no, that's not saying you want to have it dirty but um, you want to try to do it so the lettuce or greens or whatever you're doing does not touch things that are not food grade, you know, either stainless steel or food grade plastic or whatever. Most of, those, most of the insides of those are non-porous, so you wouldn't want to necessarily use a plastic one. So you look for ones that are stainless steel or you look for ones that are ceramic enamel. or enamel right. coated or whatever. And, um, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you could do that too, yeah. Okay, John, we've got a question here. Yeah, can you use the bubbler for, for bunch kale? And, you know, yeah, I, I mean, you could, I think. I don't think you really need to. You know, w dunking it in a sink usually is, is good enough for that. Usually those kind of things are not very dirty. Um, okay. Yes. 
is it required by law to use food grade containers well you know again we're in this kind of gray area the small farms you know like Alan I also went to one of those um, food safety meetings and you know after they tell you all these horrific hoops to you have to jump through then they tell you well if you're under five hundred thousand dollars you don't have to worry about it well I don't know of any small farms that are over five hundred thousand dollars small I mean like 12 acres. oh yeah well 12 acres yeah that's that's not a small farm in my book but okay we've got 12 minutes you know as far as these regulations concerned at least from my impression from going through the training they're more concerned about biological contamination than they are about chemical contamination I mean you know and and quite honestly I think they have to be because what they spray on our fields would then be automatically outside the parameters of the law so um, I think I think um, I mean I wouldn't want to use something that blatantly we know is going to be a problem, but their concern is is not chemical; it's biological. Yeah. Just a quick story of you know when we first got certified organic, I guess it was probably 2000. Um, the guy came out to inspect, and I was concerned about you know we have a spring-fed pond that we irrigate from and I was concerned about water quality and he said at that time he said you know we don't deal with water quality with uh, now of course washing is a little different there are water quality issues there but as far as irrigation and stuff he said if we do did nobody in California could be certified organic that was his irrigation when we were in Washington State there's so much problems anymore that there, there's serious dangers not even just from whether it's safe for you to eat but we would have to pump out of a river often and you can kill your crops with what's in some of those rivers and so it, it, there's a lot of issues with that stuff and so question. sure so the question is uh, if when you're processing something it actually lasts longer well I had mentioned yesterday that it lasted longer if you would process it instead no, of just taking it from oh well I say processing I mean you take it through a process not processing in the sense of okay. licensed processing um, when you come out of the field if you just say you came out of the field and you even threw it in water you pulled it out of the water and you go to farmers market with it it's not gonna hold as well as if you put it in the water pack it put it in the fridge for at least a few hours, you know, six hours, eight hours, to let it crisp, it's going to hold. I mean, for us, our salad mix, our greens, I can safely tell somebody this is going to last you if you take it home and take care of it properly and put it in your fridge and your crisper or whatever. It's going to last you a week and a half, two weeks. I don't know anybody that gets salad mix at the grocery store and has it last a week, really, and, you know, or else they're pulling slimy leaves out. And so um, the difference is, is my, well, you want to? Okay, so it's crisping it. Basically, all you're, all you're doing is locking in the hydration. Slowing transpiration. Transpiration. It's, it's hydrating the thing, getting that. So when a leaf is, is, is hot or warm, it's kind of, it's open. It's taking in moisture the, yeah the, the stomata is taking in moisture as soon as you put it in that water it's taking in that moisture and for us it's cold water actually room temperature water works best but as soon as you put it in the fridge everything shrinks just like we do when we get cold you shrink right um, it seals it in it's locking that moisture in and so when you take it to the market even though it's hot it has to go reverse that whole process again, and so it just holds longer. What temperature, what temperature refrigerator? I, 36, 38, you know, just... 32 because, yeah. I mean, for, for us, since we don't have multiple fridges for our operation and we don't have a temperature-controlled wash house as far as outside the fridge, we run ours about 55, and that's a middle ground, so we can put tomatoes in there if we wanted to. Mm -hmm. 
and we can also have lettuce stuff as well. And I know it's a compromise because I would prefer it to be a lower temperature, but when you don't have an indoor area like to put tomatoes out on and, you know, in our greenhouse setup, that was what we had to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something to realize is that when you pick a crop off of a plant, it doesn't die immediately. This thing's still breathing. It's still alive. That's why the fresher you get stuff, the more nutrition you get from it because this thing's still going. And so when you cool it down, you're slowing down the process that it's going to expire. <laughs> so. Sounds so cruel, Alan. <laughs> Doesn't die immediately. That is a bit of a moral dilemma. Um, Okay, and, and so on that line, um, one one last thing I would say: Has anybody talked about cool bots yet? I did a little bit. Okay, so a cool bot is a little unit you buy for a few hundred dollars that transforms a window air conditioning unit into a cooler that will take a, a well insulated room down to thirty some degrees. So it's, it's a cheap way to get a walk-in cooler. And as I think has kind of been alluded to here, cooling produce is really, really important, especially in the summer. Crucial for, for product quality when you go to market. So it's really, if you're starting a market farm, a walk-in cooler is high on the priority list. Michelle said it's a game changer. One thing you have to understand, though, when you're using a CoolBot system is because an air conditioner will take humidity out of the air. So you have to make sure that when you're putting your stuff into your cooler, you have a plastic layer covering it. So we have these uh, Pacro, what are those orange, uh, sorry, those yellow bins. What are those called? What's the company that makes those? Ropac. Okay. And basically what we do is that, let's say I have a bunch of kale. Well, I'll stack that kale in that bin, and then I'll take a food-grade uh, uh trash bag and put it over the top of it there and kind of you know put it around or even put the whole crate inside of the trash bag and and hold it and hold it closed because if you don't that humidity is just going to escape because it wants to because it's a very low humidity in that cold air commercial units some of them actually have a humidity coil that they'll actually add humidity back in there to compensate for it that's the one benefit of having a commercial unit but they're expensive and so trash bags uh, like food grade trash bags are really a really good thing a big thing to consider and I think you if you do want food grade bags the only place I know I don't know where you get them I think it's West Wasserstrom it's a it's their hamburger bun bags is what I get I don't, we, but you have those really yeah. nice, but they're <laughs> so yeah we're we're running out of time here um, let me just show you what we use um, these these industrial grade totes, the the ones we use are manufactured by Monoflow, and they're wonderful because they stack, or I guess no this this is nesting. They nest so they don't take up a lot of space, but then they also stack. So we use these for everything. We pack our CSA in them. We use them, you know, when we take our, our stuff, when we wash our stuff, our bunches of kale, they go straight in here, close the lid, put it in the cooler, and um, it goes to market in this. We get to market, open it up. These are, they're not cheap, but they're not super expensive. They're, they're around $10 a piece. Not no, we just bought some. Really? Yeah. Really? In fact, this small size was nine something. Can you bring this any? <laughs> what size are they? Um, there we have two sizes. One is nine inches tall, and the other is twelve inches tall, roughly. What um, bigger one? Was it was eleven something. So you just have to look around um, online. So I mean, it's an investment, but they last. The only, the only thing I'll tell you is don't leave these outside because after 10 years, they're going to break down. We learned that the hard way, but we got some new ones. And if you keep them inside, I think they'd last almost indefinitely. 
Okay, we've got a few questions and then we've got to wrap it up here. John. Okay. So so he's saying that you can use... I've been to farms that have a bunch of refrigerators. They just buy used. Um, but I would question, I think if you have very many of those, I think you're probably going to use less energy with with a, a window unit. Um, okay, well... Let me just show you a few more pictures here. So this is something we just got. We saw this used at a farm, and I, I, the verdict is still out on it. Whether, but it's a it's a way to to tie a, a bag, and it's super fast, lightning fast. You literally run it through there through this machine it's called a uh what's it called sure tape something or other i can't the quality of the picture isn't good um and so this is what it does it seals it like that just in a a millisecond i don't know where we purchased it <laughs> joshua purchased it um I think Uline would probably have it. Now, the the thing we're not sure on this, you know, when it comes to salad mix, you know, you basic you can't undo that tape, so you just have to tear the bag open. Uh, and so, you know, if our customers know, well, you just put it in a Ziploc bag, and but you know, we want to get some feedback from customers whether they like it or not, because it's it definitely destroys the bag, but it's lightning fast when it comes to um, to packaging. Okay, this is a cool little thing, and I want to give credit to our apprentices. We've had some incredible apprentices the last year and a half, some really mature thinking um Thinking Lean Apprentices, we went through the Lean Farm book, and most of these improvements came from the apprentices. This is just a little light sensor in our cooler. So rather than, you know, you're carrying in a bunch of boxes and you're fumbling around for the light switch, this, you walk in the door and the light comes on. And a minute later it goes off. You know, such a little thing. It was $10.00. <laughs> ten dollars or something and you know we don't have to worry did did you leave the light on well you know it's gonna go off so that's a neat little thing and this so when you've got you know 50 of those bins in the cooler you got to know what's what right so we just bought painters tape in different colors we used to use post-it notes, but those are expensive, and they tend to come off. Painter's tape sticks better, but it also pulls off pretty easy. And so we've got you do that too. Okay, well, why didn't you tell me about that? Okay. So, but we've got different colors. You know, stuff going to farmer's market is blue, CSA, yellow, so on. So that, you know, you can stack them in there and you know exactly by looking at the color. Okay, this is, we need to put this here and this goes here. I think that's it. Yeah. So those are just a few things. Did you all have any last things? We, we can go a few more minutes for questions. Um, yeah. Which picture? This one? Yeah. No, the colored tape. Let me just mention one thing first so everyone's clear on this. You want to move in your house from dirty to clean. You don't want to have to come back across that same ground. Actually, Timothy Hyde um, mentioned that earlier. And so for us, we have like a hoop house. So it's, it's skinnier than it is long, right? And so we have two tables outside and we put our stuff there as it's dirty and then people take that in and go through the wash cycle. After it goes through the wash cycle, then it goes to the packing tables and after that, then it goes to the cooler and then it goes out the door. So you really want it to be streamlined, not have to be coming back across and it's really good because people are moving pretty much in all one direction and it just, it, 
remember that your hoop house is, and, and they, uh, sorry, your wash house, and this is what they mentioned at this training I went to, is the highest chance of contamination. Because everything's, if there's one thing contaminated and it goes to that wash house, that's where it meets up with everything else. And so it's very important that you make sure that you move from dirty to clean and not go back across that ground. Yeah, I just, I was thinking we should, we talked about washing, we talked about picking, but I don't know if we talked about well, we talked packing, a well, a little bit about packing. So there's, there's a lot of questions about <clears throat> something that I, we use wax boxes for packing at, at my farm. I just saw a guy who's using non-wax boxes. I think Alan uses non-wax boxes, yeah? For, yes. Packing. Right. And so that can be problematic, but it's also a lot cheaper, and you can recycle that. You can't recycle wax boxes. We're not selling things like just a bunch of kale things. Right. We're packing it for so people, so it's more profitable. He's packing it for people, so it's a little different. I don't know. What are you guys are you just using the, those plastic totes? Yeah. So like on my CSA... I take the box over there and I leave the box there and I don't pick the box up until next week. I can't leave a $10 tote because they often don't come home. And so that's not an option for me. So we use wax boxes that we pack into. We use one and one ninth bushel boxes. And they make smaller ones and they make bigger ones. What are you paying for those? I buy them by the pallet, um, even though I don't really use them. I don't really need that much. Um, it's a lot cheaper because you're going to pay to ship them and you get a cheaper rate on the boxes. I bought them four years ago. So what they would go for today is I don't know. But probably somewhere after shipping and everything, I'm probably close to close enough to $4 to say $4 a box. But, so you're, are you saying that you give those to your customers? You I'm saying I ask for them back. Okay. <laughs> but they don't always come back. And so if I go to a restaurant, I find the one that's got, like, the torn handle because I'm probably not getting it back from a restaurant usually. And so, or if I get boxes, like, at, at co-ops or something, and they're not standardized to my stuff, I, put a, I take the tape and I write everything that's in the box on the tape, and that goes to them that way. They have to be organic boxes, though, or I won't take them. So just a plug for the, the plastic one. So if you're paying $4 a box, yeah. you know, all you need to do is, is lose, lose three boxes and you've bought a one that can be recycled over and over and over again. And just one other little thing, you know, yeah, these, these are expensive if you're getting 100 of them. But um, Tennessee where we are, has a program. It's called the Tennessee Agricultural Enhancement Program where you can write a grant and they will match 50-50 for agricultural improvement. They're really trying to push this. And so I would check into what your state has because, you know, you may be able to get help with some of this. And I know that brings up a whole other issue of government assistance but um yeah well, i guess i don't want to go there right now <laughs> um yes david um i can tell you how i do it how do you potatoes irish potatoes so how do you wash potatoes whether it be sweet potatoes or or regular irish potatoes um on our farm, well, when we harvest them, we don't wash them. We try to harvest them when it's not muddy, when it's dry. If we do harvest them when it's muddy, try to clean them as best we can. But they store better as long as they're not wet. You know, if it's super muddy and wet, then that kind of defeats the purposes. But they store better if you don't wash them. So it depends on what you If you're going to market right away, we use a hose, put them in a... We have harvest bins. They don't have tops on them like that, but they're plastic bins. And we just we spray them off and kind of slow process of churning them. Obviously, you could get a, a washer, which is like a spray machine that's a conveyor belt or a, or a circle one that turns them. There's root washers and things like that. Those are thousands of dollars usually. I've, I've, you've seen them cheaper than three or $4,000. So for us, it's a hose in my hands. And it's somewhat tedious if they're really muddy, if it's been wet out. But usually, like, if the ground's not, not too wet, they, they are not too dirty, and they clean up pretty quick. If you, if you go to the, the Keep It, what is it called? 
Storeitcold.com. It'll, it'll, and they have a whole, oh, what's the price to run a cool bot? Well, it's going to vary on size and, and several different things. But if you go to their website, they have a ton of information on how to build the coolers. Tell them what and a cool bot is. Some people are wondering what a cool bot is. We just we talked about it just a minute ago. Who does, does everybody know what a cool bot is? Yeah. Storeitcold.com. Um, if you just type in CoolBot into Google, it'll come up too. Um, but yeah, there, there's pennies a day. To answer the question in short, generally, unless you have a very poor system, it's going to be pennies a day. So it's, 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 it's one of the cheapest. It's much cheaper than an industrial one, and it's cheaper than the, the glass windowed ones or the individual ones. It's, it's a very inexpensive way to do it. a lot of space. Darren Greenfield does a whole, like, 20-foot shipping container. Yeah. Darren Greenfield uses a 20-foot shipping container with one. I use a, a 8-foot by 12-foot walking. Well, you've seen my walk-in cooler. Insulated shipping container. Yeah, an insulated shipping container is what Darren's using. Okay, we better with stop. With yeah. a cool bot, yeah. So we're going to officially stop, and I'm sure that at least some of us can stay around a little longer if you have more questions. Again, I think you see we just scratched the surface, um, but hopefully we gave a few, few helpful tips. So let's just close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for um, the, the challenges and the joys of working with your uh, created uh, plants and, and produce. And Lord, we, we realize that we don't have wisdom in ourselves to be able to do this in your way. So we ask that you continue to guide and direct us as we seek to be more efficient for your honor and glory. And we thank you for doing this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.